1980s is the story of a changing Britain. It's a story of characters like Tony Benn or Princess Diana. It's a story of technological innovation like the Austin Metro or the ZX Spectrum. And towering over it all was either, depending on your view, Henry, the magnificent or the monstrous Mar Margaret Thatcher. But I think mm. that the soundtrack to the 1980s and the quintessential soundtrack to this, this changing Britain, the good and the bad, is the Smiths. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. Welcome to the first episodes of Dream LPs. This is a podcast where I, Ari Chanda, and my co-host, Henry Rowlands. Rowlands take an artist each week and we look at their entire discography and we try and distill the band or, or singer down and try, try and build the best possible album using their entire discography. So let's get into to this week's episode. The Smiths. The Henry, Smiths. how did you first get? How did you first get into well, the Smiths? Well, the Smiths. The Smiths were a band that I'd obviously I'd known about for quite a while. They're a band. The band that the name means something. I knew that for a while when I was a, a kid. But I mean, I got to confess. I think when I'd heard a few Smith songs, it, I I really didn't sort of chime with uh, the vibe that Morrissey was going for. And it only took me till I was about till I was a teenager of about fifteen years old was when I finally sort of got into it. I'd say that's that's uh, the summer of 2018. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, took, I mean, it, it definitely took me a while to come around to them. I'd say that too. I mean, I saw, you know, I, I just got into to vinyl collection, in collecting and I saw Hatful of Hollow on uh, on the shelf at Sainsbury's and I bought it and I was like, eh, not really a big fan. And then, as embarrassing as it is, uh, the Bumblebee movie from 2018 heavily features <laughs> the Smiths. I did see and the trailer, yeah. <laughs> And after, after watching it, hearing Girlfriend in a Coma, I was like, no, I should get back into this. And, I, and you know, what Is Girlfriend in a Coma in a Transformers movie? Yeah, Girlfriend in a Coma is in the trailer. It's like a really prominent part of that film. Wow. It's a, yeah, so that that drew me into it. And then again, I'm very interested in, you know, Thatcher at Britain. And I feel, as I was saying, The Smiths is almost the sort of perfect soundtrack to that. You sort of, I think you see the sort of the good and the bad of this you know, New England in The Smiths. Yeah, so, but yeah, I think I think that's what's what's great about the uh, the Smiths lyrics. That's what immediately I sort of chimed with is that like a lot of a lot of them can be a lot of them can be very like sort of relatable on an emotional level. But in terms of like politics and stuff, they're like they're very sort of open to interpretation about a lot, yeah. lot of many things. And yeah. there's there's a load of load of sort of sort of culture references that that Morrissey sort of spins in there. Yeah, and, and of course sexuality, song. which is something that having you know having looked for for songs, I'm I'm skeptical of of the extent that sexuality is talked about. I think it, for a lot of it is more melancholy. But I think that is something about the Smiths is that there's such debate over what Morris is trying to say. And just heads up, I think we should probably make it clear we don't. Morris is kind of a rubbish person. He's a genius lyric, lyricist. Yeah, but he's yeah. a really, really bad bloke. Like he is kind of a fascist, but oh, he's got yeah, some good yeah, songs. Yeah. I think on yeah. the Tonight Show, with yeah, Jimmy we don't, Fallon, we don't, we don't endorse him politically. Yeah, on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, like, big sort of, you know, great sort of good liberal show. Big up Jimmy Fallon, but Morris came on there and did his song whilst wearing like a a badge of like an. A, Fairly obscure, far right for for Britain, which is like yeah, yeah like basically a quasi-fascistic group. But I think that's something about Morrissey. Is I think he he's trying to be a contrarian, and unfortunately, that's kind of resulted in 
fascism. I think he's which trying is to not keep something, up. Yeah, which is good. He's trying to keep up his big mouth persona. I think back in the back in the eighties, what, what he, you know, to to be that big mouth to strike again in the media, he would say stuff like you know, like critical of the monarchy. But I think maybe in today in today's era, like he he sort of wants to just attack. Uh, yeah, well, I, I suppose in a, in a conservative time, Morrissey will be liberal. I and mean, in a liberal time, Morrissey will be conservative. Exactly, I mean, yeah. It's, not, it's inevitable. So I think let's get right into our albums. Um, how this is going to work is almost going to be like a drafting system. You know, it's round one. This is round one. I pick my song. Henry picks his song. Uh, yeah. And then we discuss. We discuss the reasoning for our choice. So I think, so round one, we'll put in a bell sound effect. So the first song I've chosen is is still ill, and I think I think this is a brilliant opening song. It's on. Indeed. I I think I prefer the John the John Peel version from Hatful as opposed to the one on the really? on the original. I think I mean that Combine Harvester, that sort of harmonica sound, kind of well, it, it has a somewhat prisony vibe to it. But I think those 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 opening the lyrics, I decree today that life is is simply taking and not giving. England is mine and it owes me a living. And I think we instantly get that sort of idea of, of England and what England means to Morrissey. Yeah. So, you know, it owes me a living. Well, one could argue that what what is England, what is what is meant to be to Morrissey now? Now, again, going as we're talking about with Margaret Thatcher, one of the big things that Margaret Thatcher did was a lot of a lot of benefits cutting. And considering how, how high unemployment was, there was a lot of people on benefits. So one could take that potentially in the literal way that England literally has to, you know, to pay him to live there. I I somewhat disagree with that. I feel like he's more he's more has this desire for for this particular image, this little Englandy image of of the nation, which you know doesn't really exist, and he can't really justify. He's always angry that he can't justify. He says, you know, but ask me why, and I'll spit in your eye, and, the, and we get the repetition of that. And yeah. then we, when we get this from Morrissey, we get this weird sort of transition to this um, question of rationalism versus empiricism. You know, does the body rule the mind or, or does the mind rule the body? Is, is this idea of England that's been projected onto us? Are we even in control of what, what we think and what we desire? And I think, I think that's, that's a really interesting idea. And then, and then he talks about... And then we see this sort of nostalgic imagery of uh, under the kissing under the Iron Bridge. Bridge. Yeah, Iron Bridge. You know, it has almost like Victorian imagery about it, but yeah, it's actually yeah, yeah. from a. But it's actually referring to um, a stop on the on the Metro line in, Man- in Manchester, which is you know near where Morrissey grew up. So it again, it's a sort of dual side of romanticism of England that you know we have this pretty you know Jane Austen image, but actually the reality of it is far far more brutal. Now, with with the you know title of the song still ill, there's some people who suppose that it's Morrissey, you know, because obviously the consensus many people thought at the time that homosexuality was was a mental illness, and Morrissey, and some people would hesitate that Morrissey's talking about his uh, sexuality. I disagree with that. I think this song is more about his state of mind and uh, you know what his desires and he's you know the idea of clinging to the past. You know, he talking mm. about we cannot cling to those old dreams anymore. I think that he's sick, and what Morris is saying is he's sick because he can't, you know, he can't live in the present. It's always this. He's talking about England. But it's this Russian idea of Tosca, which is uh, yearning for past that that never was. And I feel like there is definitely yeah. some 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 real questioning over whether Morris's England ever ever existed. 
Yeah, yeah that kind of that kind of reminds me a bit of uh, the Oasis song uh, "Fade Away," and I think I think probably uh, Liam and Noel were quite influenced by by Morrison. Well, yeah, because it, it's yeah, it's a Manchester scene, and the band we'll talk about next week is is very much influenced by uh, by Morrissey and his character. And yeah, it's a questionable yeah, degrees. <laughs> the question we'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. it's why you got to listen next week. Um, but yeah, but he, again, it's this you know this idea of you know it wasn't like those old days anymore. It's still no, it wasn't like those days. And it's just you know this idea that there may have been the soft that we're never going to recapture it. And I think that's something that you know was quite you know it's common feeling at the time in in nineteen eighties England. We've got you know. Britain is sort of fading in our global significance. We, we, we're questioning what this, and this is a question that's been going on since the 1940s. We're questioning what do we want England to be? And it's really unclear. But for Morrissey, I think the present, the present England is, is not particularly great. You know, there's brighter sides to life, but he hasn't seen them not very often. Yeah. So I think Still Ill is a brilliant, probably one of my favorite Smith songs. So I feel I'll end up repeating oh, yeah. that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's a brilliant opener, and it and it's br- and it's creates a spectacular vision over Morrissey's sort of ambivalence over England and its you know his this desire for identity. So yeah, so so that's my first round pick. What's yours? Okay, so my my first pick is another one from the the Smiths that their self titled debut, and this is what difference does it make? And uh, this is this is also a track that's it's it's similar to uh, still ill in. Well, I mean, there's there's one note where he's saying I'm feeling very sick and ill today, and there's also this is another song that, as Ari hinted to, there's a lot of people read this as a reference to the stigma around homosexuality, and uh, the, the, the the opening line, all men have secrets, and here is mine, so let it be known, and and when when he says you start to recall. From the heavy words, the heavy words are so lightly thrown. It, it's there it's, have there have been a lot of a lot of a lot of speculations about Morrissey. I mean, I, I'm I'm not I haven't done too much research onto that side because I don't I don't think well he only he only came out until his like sort of late forties when it became more more socially like openly that he was yeah yeah but, yeah yeah, yeah. And, but, but I mean yeah yeah I, I, I mean remember I it was there was loads of stigma. I mean obviously it hadn't been past yet but it was basically like a section 23 you know this was not something which was you know as it is now very much discussed so he's not exactly going to be very much open about it and he's, and he's going to use covert imagery yeah i think but this is still this is still like a very i still think this is a very sort of interesting uh, uh one of the smiths like i think morrissey morrissey has sort of disowned this song this is one of his least favorite smith songs he thinks it's a bit over the top, a bit too, the the sort of the 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 love elements the, of it are just a bit too. He 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 says it's one of his like more immature songs, but I I'm I'm a big fan of it. Um, I think the 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 lyrics. I mean, the devil will find work for either hands to do. I stole and I lied, and why? Because you asked me to. I mean, this is. I I just I think that's a. It's something, yeah. it's something that Morrissey talks about in a lot of songs when is. His kind of weird sort of interpretation of love and relationships. It's, yeah, it's kind of. I think, it's, I think it's a bit dark. It's it's very dark. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I whilst I would say well, I whilst I would say that still ill, still ill is more about desire, a yearning for the past. 
and your prejudice won't keep you you warm tonight. That yeah. I think this song is about Morrissey's sexuality, definitely. Um, and yeah, especially the devil, you know, this reference around you know sin and stuff, because this is this is this is what the prejudice and the stigma is at the time. I think I think we do see sort of this sick and ill, and I think Morrissey just feels that the time and, and England at the moment is not is not right for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 does feel a bit. It feels. It is a very melancholy, and it it sort of goes back to that thing of him feeling sort of beaten down. I'm I'm so very tired. And I'm feeling very sick and ill today, which is yeah. This is a kind of a common thing on the uh, the Smiths, the self-titled. It's like that that theme that's running through. You can see that in yeah in a lot, in a lot of the songs like Still Ill and and Suffer Little Children. Yeah, which which we'll get into. I mean, Morrissey yeah. tends to talk quite a lot about Morrissey. He, he does. He does. Yeah, he, he's yeah. very much. Uh, he's self centric, but yeah. I mean, I suppose this song we're getting into to round two now. Uh, wait, wait. Can I? Can I just? Can I just continue with? Yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the reason why I chose this as the first song on my album. I think. I think I originally had "Oscillate Wildly," and I thought that'd be quite a sort of a sort of a kind of. Oh, a little artistic flurry to start the album off. But I think I realised that, you know, to, to, a common thing of opening Smith's album is you need you need a banger. You need to hit them with a banger at the start. And yeah, think, yeah, totally. But especially, I really, really like the uh, the sort of more refined version of What Difference Does It Make on Apple Apollo. But I think the version on What Difference Does It Make, it's, it's more, it feels more melancholy and it has that sort of slower fade in. And I think it really, the... Johnny Mars, uh, Johnny Mars guitar music, uh, guitar instrumental on this is is probably one of the Smiths' very best. And actually, yeah, I have I have a, an old copy of the What Difference Does It Make vinyl here, which is not good for an audio podcast. But I was doing some research into this, and apparently Morrissey wanted to use uh, some image from like an old uh, kitchen sink drama film of of a boy holding a. A glass of milk. I'm not really sure what film it is. Some old black and white film, and they couldn't get the rights to it. So when they when they first released this this single, uh, Morrissey had to dress up and do the same pose as this as this still that wanted from the boy. So he dressed up as this person, and then uh, so it was in circulation with Morrissey in the front cover. And then once they got the rights, they took it out of circulation and then did it with that still. But the version that I have now is one of these rare ones with Morrissey on the front cover That's with it. a glass of milk. Yeah. Right, yeah. So we've had some technical difficulties, but we're back. So the night is over my eyes. I think this, you know, we're really starting to see the the kitchen sink uh realism that, that we discussed in uh what difference does it make come through in this. It's a, it's an adapt it's a sort of lyrical adaptation of the play um A Taste of Honey, which is basically about this uh what well, this this girl who's been um impregnated by a sailor. And then the father doesn't return home and she doesn't, she gives the baby up. And it's sort of just like this, uh, you know, this ambivalence over what's right and what's wrong. Um, this play, it comes from this sort of kitchen sink realism genre, which really starts to you know, come around in the, in the mid 1950s on the stage and then really moves into the mainstream in the 1960s. Uh, in film and media with, you know, you get the, you know, the rise of Coronation Street in 1960. Uh, the movie Saturday, um, 
Saturday night and Sunday afternoon, Saturday morning and Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, the big yeah, inspiration for so the Arctic Monkeys as well. Yeah, so we're getting, so, um, and this play very much fits into it, is sort of, because, yeah, well, the thing about kitchen sink realism is it's this sort of, you know, aesthetic depiction of working class England, but it's sort of the first time that it's been done by people who experienced it first time, and, and you know, those who have done it, you know, accurately, you know, compared to what, the way that the working class represented in media before this sort of North industrial class, it was not overly positive, but it also was not overly realistic. So getting onto the night is over my eyes, Johnny, Johnny Marr does a complete, you know, this, the soft sort of almost ghostly feeling of somewhat remorseful really comes across in the, in the instrument of the song. And once again, Morrissey's, you know, amazing ability to write, to write lyrics really shines through. You know, the, the idea of this, you know, the, you know, tricolon of imperatives, immerse the baby's head, wrap her up in the needs of the world, dump her on a doorstep girl. You know, it really, you can really understand the sort of, you know, the, the torment that this, uh, that Joe, who's the main character in the case of Honey, that the girl's been impregnated, is going, is going through about what, what to do with, with the child. Especially because a major, major point in this play is that the sailor is black and obviously mixed race children, uh, 1960s England not overly accepted particularly well. There's a real debate over what do you do to this with this poor kid who's inevitably going to face prejudice, inevitably going to face discrimination. We see, you know, the the way the girls were manipulated. Uh, a grown man of 25, I would say, you cure your ills. He didn't. He never will, and he's never going to return. And we sort of see this 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 poor girl sort of cursed with this with this baby, and you know. We, you know, her potential, you know, she could have been a poet or she could have been a film. We don't know because her life has just been sort of stopped. And you don't know how to feel about it because she's, she's not sure what, or at least is my interpretation, she's not sure what the potential of her life would have been. There's this idea of wasted potential, but it's still unclear what the original potential was. And again, you know, there's the, there's this, you know, the shoot, the imagery of it, you know, the, you get that almost sibling thing with the shoeless child on the swing. That's mm. a really quite evocative image, I, I'd say. And it, I feel it's almost a universal image in, in, in England, especially particular, of the sort of the melancholy of it. And then, yeah, we get this in the, oh, save your life, because you've only got one. You have got this sort of, you know, who's, who should the mother care about? Should she care more about her own, or should she care you know, about the child? And this is this is the debate, you know, obviously, what you do with ch children born out of wedlocks that was that was very, very present in the, in the 50s and 60s. And that like Morrissey sort of bringing back here in the in the 1980s as this, as this sort of debate over, you know, do we focus on the individual or do we focus on those those around us? I think that is something linking it back to what I was saying about Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher very much was a politician who based on individuality and based on sort of, you know, self um focus on the self but at the same time espouse family values so we we're basically really seeing the you know the torment that this girl has been put through and she just does not know how, how to feel of it and you get that sort of i'm not happy i'm not sad and this you know the night opening his eyes you always get this midnight as i said ghostly feel to it so i think this you know contrasting to still ill which is very much a sort of debate over is england real or not this is sort of saying you know, the present reality of things is, is really quite grim. 
and yeah, you get the melancholy of it. I'm not sure if you've got anything to add on the on the night that's over my eyes. No, I mean, I mean it's it's not it's not one of those Smith songs that I've I listen to a lot. I think I've only listened to it a few times, but it's not one I go back to. But I mean, hearing you explain that is 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 really interesting. I think a, a lot of Morrissey's uh, pop pop culture references really sort of intrigued me. He was a very sort of, I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not condoning Morrissey, but back, you know, he was a, he's a very like well read, well watched guy. Yeah, he know he knows he knows his stuff. Yeah, there's certainly more poetry we'll, we'll get into with uh, with with Morrissey. Yeah, Keats and Yeah, there's definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, the night is open. It's had a bit of revival. You, you might not be aware of this for TikTok. I think this is, oh, might Christ. be one of the songs that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I think this might be one of the, you know, typically the, you know, the more famous Smith songs, Big Mouth is oh, really? Yeah, I think this might be it. This is starting to be a more introductory song for the Smiths as opposed to one right. that you you discover, which I think I think is a good thing. Yeah. yeah I, think, I think it's a nice opening. I think you really see. Morrissey, you know, Morrissey, the way Morrissey is viewing the world and almost a duplicitous nature that, you know, is it good or is it bad? But in this one, he's sort of just going, eh, you know. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Sort of, pessimism. You know? uh, Pessimistic. You're exa- yeah, exactly. So let's get on to your round two. Yeah, pick. so my, my, my second pick is the, the song that got me into the Smiths. This was the, this is probably the first song that I properly sat down and listened to by the Smiths and it immediately it it made me it made me wake up to the fact that these 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 guys have something. <laughs> it really start it really started my obsession because, right the the song is stop me if you think that you've heard this one before and you know when you listen to it 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 has that very sort of upbeat sort of jangly guitar music. It's one of those real danceable Smith songs. Yeah, but when it's, you sort of it's very loud. When you break down the the lyrics of Stop me if you think you've heard this one before. It's probably one of the darkest Smith songs, and it's it sort of shows a chaotic relationship breakdown with some really sort of dark, malicious lyrics. But there's such an upbeat instrumental, and it's a really it's a really great combination. It shows I think it shows the what the best of Mar and Morrissey can do into creating this this really sort of genius combination i don't think i think a lot of bands afterwards would try to match that an interesting thing about this song is that it was it was banned by the bbc because of its controversial lyric and the pain was enough to make a shy bald buddhist reflect and plan a mass murder that's pretty that's a pretty dark lyric yeah and this this lyric this song was deemed insensitive because it came out not long after the the Hungerford massacre, in which fifteen people were shot and killed, and the Smiths like fair play to them, you know, you know they 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 like to be sort of, you know, they're, they're controversial, likes to be mocking of the media. He likes to be controversial, but I fair play to them. They did decide not to release the song in the UK, um, which is interesting. I and yeah, yeah, this is yeah that he's actually, yeah, I haven't got. A great deal to um to add on on that song. It's just you know that's a strange way song. That's the first yeah. I mean the fourth I, I, album, which I don't think was received as as well as obviously in contrast to the Queen is Dead, which you know yeah one could very well argue is the greatest album of all time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think if we oh no yeah, I'll, I'll, to... I'll mention I'll mention a few things a few a couple of things more though just like that the lyrics. I mean I've always loved I've always loved the 
the opening verse. That that really just this is why this song became one of my favorite Smith songs and why it got me to the Smiths. Nothing's changed. I still love you. Oh, I still love you. Only slightly, only slightly less than I used to. And I just that that's one of those things that has always just stayed in the back of my mind. That's probably one of my favorite Morrissey lyrics. And really, if you just if you just if you look at this song's lyrics without without the the music, it's it's a really sort of dark portrait of like an alcoholic partner, like a and it, it, there's there's some hints at like an abusive relationship, and there is it's 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 full on. But as I say, it's it's one of those ones that if you put on loudly, it's like it's one of the, their best sort of dance tracks. It's like it's a really fun, really fun listen despite everything. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what we're seeing in, in looking at looking at these songs is we're seeing a real sort of duality to the Smiths. You know, they're they're, they're talking about two very much contrast. They're usually talking about two very much contrasting ideas. At once, it seems in in at, when they're at their best. Yeah. So on to on to round three. Um, yeah, I have chosen "Pretty Girls Make Graves," also from the self-titled. Um, the, this song is from the self-titled The Smiths album. Um, yeah, and it is a. This is a very much a, a weird song. You know, you're looking at it in the sort of 1980s, sort of the aftermath of, of the sexual revolution. You know, all the changes that. You know, they were fight that was you know were pushing to be made in the sixties for rubrics about birth control or or you know from whatever that by the eighties the sort of the sexual revolution is done in that regard in the sort of second wave regard. So I think we we've sort of seen that it's a changing time, but the, but the time is, is is changed. And and again, you're sort of yeah, you're very much seeing Morrissey being weird with sex in this uh, in this one to be sure for sure. Um, mm. Yeah, so, we, so, we, so you know, again, uh, we're talking about England, we're seeing this, you know, upon the sand, upon the bay, end of the pier, end of the bay, this, you know, this this idea, I think the British seaside is quite, uh, it's quite an evocative image for um, for many. And, you know, by the 19, in the 1960s, you know, you, you had stuff like Scarborough and the like, and they were, you know, really big, really quite affluent people come to some but by the 1980s because you get like these package holidays um you know all from to you know france or spain or whatever we see a sort of dwindling sadness in many of these seaside resorts which you know you go to clapton you can see today um and you see this sort of this uh, altercation between morrissey and this girl who who seems to or at least you know with the lines of the quick and easy way who really is sort of only pursuing pursuing sex and Morrissey is saying, I'm not the man you think I am. Now, one could argue that's, that's about homosexuality. I think that's more about, you know, Morrissey is a far more cerebral individual. And that's, and that's, that's what he wants. Um, and again, he, I think he's really sort of having a go at, at, at promiscuity in this, in this, in this regard. Um, you get the, you get the line, give up to lust, oh heaven knows, between the that's, that, well, that, he stood that is a uh, that you know that's uh, almost quoting uh, Andrew Marvell's famous line to his coy mistress, where yeah. that line in the song is trying to be used to get to almost to get Morrissey to sleep with her in a, in a sort of hedonistic sense, and it's the exact same thing in that in that poem. And Morrissey sort of almost retorts with, uh, "And pretty girls make graves," and that that this is quoting from Jack Harrow. He's one of the sort of most enigmatic American writers of, in history. Um, and the, the mentality behind that line 
is that basically pretty girls become pregnant and obviously that means they have a baby and that baby will eventually die. And that the only way to stop the cycle of oh, life wow, yeah. and death is, is that regard. That's quite a strange... It's kind, um, it kind of shows Morrissey's strange moral compass again, doesn't it? Yeah, I think... I think for Morrissey, I think I think this part might be with the homosexuality regards. I think Morrissey is is, so, is really not motivated by sex, but he's more motivated by the by the human human mind and interest. Yeah, in, that, that is. I've heard Morrissey say stuff like that. He, he's yeah. It's it's humanity. Humanity is what. Is but that being for? said, this sort of you know nature played this trick on me. Um, you know he he doesn't he he he's shy and I feel like he, he's saying this and then he. And then he, um, you know, another man takes a hand and a smile lights up on a stupid face. You know, it sort of shows how detached this girl that Morrissey's talking about from it. So Morrissey's kind of having, he's not happy with the the more, I suppose, promiscuous nature of, of England at the time than, than, I suppose, how, what it would have been in Morrissey's sort of fantasy, almost Edwardian England. And I suppose the, I lost my faith in womanhood. One could definitely see that as a, as a you know as an allusion to his homosexuality um and then the outro is oh hand in glove the sun shines out of our behinds which is yeah it's a, it's a strange ending but i think that you know nevertheless that could be a reference to you know a song which i understand you're going to talk about now hand in glove yes. which which is definitely there's definitely debate over what is that about sexuality yeah so if we move on hand in glove now all right, your free So this is this is the Smiths' debut song, and one that the group had a lot of high hopes for when they when they released it, and they they, they thought this is this is it, this is we're going to make it. But unfortunately, the song flopped and peaked at like a terrible 124th place <laughs> on the UK chart, and although although today. Uh, uh, Morrissey maintains that it is one of his favorite songs and has his favorite lyric in it. It it was a it was a bit of a dismal failure, but you know to come off uh, what Ari, the song Ari was talking about there, "Pretty Girls Make Grapes," uh, "Hand in Glove," you know the name implies a perfectly fitting relationship, and the song is about a lover's crippling pessimism, though despite this sort of idyllic relationship and it's sort of Morrissey's overwhelming pessimism about the world around him and about you know where relationships going to go and the future and stuff that 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 blights his otherwise ideal relationship it's kind of it's kind of ironic um yeah I mean uh there is a lot to say about you know people could see references to to sexuality in here but the thing is Johnny Marr said that he always assumed that Morrissey had written the song about their friendship. And this suggests this suggests that Morrissey is implying, if he is writing about Johnny Marr, which I think he probably, that is definitely probably a part of it. I think that's where his, his emotional attachment came to these lyrics. I think he is implying that he wouldn't care if people stared, stared at the two of them and assumed, and assumed that they were lovers because according to Morrissey and Marr, at the time that they were writing this, this song, they were each other's only friends. Morris is, you know, commenting on this sort of stigma in in society that's sort of working to sort of break apart these relationships. But I mean, 
the sun shines out of our behinds. I find that a really interesting lyric. I'm I'm still not really sure what that means, but I, it's sort of that's the sort of idyllic, um, angelic sort of sort of de- depiction of of him and uh, him and his lover, him and his friend, or yeah. Well, it only it, it only got off the ground after Sandy Shaw, who was a, one of these '60s singers, a cover of it in 1980. Um, I remember, like a year after release, and that's what sort of catapulted the Smiths, right? All so, right. yeah. So what? So now we will move on to round four. Uh, let me just sorry, but round four, and what I think probably is one of lyrically the best songs of all time, frankly, Mister Shankly. Um, and frankly, Mister Shankly is is written as an uh, as almost yeah, you know, it's almost in a Kingsian. You know, in the, uh, the Ray Davies melody, um, and it's it's supposedly written to uh, the their producer uh, Jeff Travis, and it, it is a jovial song for sure, but it is sort of seeing the sort of existential boredom experienced by uh, by Morrissey, but I feel like that's somewhat re- you know representative of the nineteen eighties eighties as a whole. That you know he just sort of feels that like he's just getting beaten down and down by this sort of boring job and he, and he has bigger ideas and society is meant to be about ambition and we see all this narrative about ambition but it there's no opportunity presenting itself to him and you know he feels like he's got to do something you know you've got the 21st century proving down his neck he has to do something great and he's become so motivated by fame 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 fatal fame like the tricks on the blade on the brain and you know, I'd rather be famous than righteous or holy. And that trifling repetition of any day really, I feel, shows how Morrison might be criticising both himself, but also the way that society has become with with fame and you know the celebrity culture of the 1980s. Then Jeff Travis, who was who was a producer, when he talks about I didn't know you wrote poetry, you're it's bloody awful poetry. Um, that was poetry that Jeff Travis showed Morrissey, and Morrissey did think it was rubbish. But it wasn't. It wasn't like a bad relationship. It was somewhat jovial. I think this song is is really sort of just having a go at the sort of the boredom experience and the desire to do something more, but that inability to do something more. So you sort of just relent, and in that final line, you just go, "Well, give us your money." Which, yeah, in 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 the in the, in the Morrissey sense, that's about you know uh, the band are being cheated financially, somewhat, and that was the sort of the feud. But I feel in, in a realistic sense, you. you for, for the many in the communities, you sort of put up with this boring job, but at the end, you just you just want the money. Yeah. yeah. So you're around for yeah. Or I you speaking, on Shankly. Speaking of uh, success and and fame, I think that brings me on quite nicely to Half a Person, which is my fourth choice. And uh, this is basically more than any other song, the autobiography, De Morrissey. And this is like, you know, this is one of those songs that. I've listened to uh, like on repeat more than maybe all other Smith songs. Um, and I'd say for a while, it might be my favorite. It's a, it's a proper sort of B side treasure about Morrissey's journey. Uh, so um, he describes the six years that he was on, he was on someone's trail, but, uh, which, which could, which could be a reference to uh, uh, him being alienated by, by a lover and, I mean, when I first heard it, I just read it as this guy is a massive simp. But I mean, 
I think the the contrast between the, the six years on your trail and if you have five seconds to spare, I've always loved that contrast there. And that could also be about Morrissey's journey to fame and, and his, 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 his pursuits of success and it is what he feels is his five five seconds in the spotlight or something. I I, I don't know. That's just me reading into it. But I I think a line that stands out to me is when you were hopelessly poor, I just liked you more. Which is um, kind of uh, that's definitely something that reflects Morrissey's life and how people, you know, from from his original life before all the success, uh, you know, they they would feel that that success changed the changed Morrissey. It wasn't overnight success, but it was. It did happen quite rapidly to him at a young age, and I suppose that may be why he sort of feels that even though he's experienced such success, he still feels sixteen, clumsy and shy, as the song says. He still hasn't changed, but to everyone else, fame has, on the surface, superficially, people see him as a different person. Personally, from my knowledge of Morrissey, it could be about Sonny Shaw, who was this sort of sixty singer that Morrissey was obsessed to. Yeah. This could be that, but yeah, I think no, I I quite like the song as well. Um, just on that, yeah, I just found this quote from from Morrissey when we're talking about sexuality. What his his statement on it is: "I'm a humosexual. I'm attracted to humans." So I feel again that is that sort of more cerebral worldview that Morrissey occupies. So yeah, so for my so round five, um, for my fifth choice, how soon is now? Yeah, no, this is probably the. It's probably one of the most famous Smith songs, even though oh, it's probably yeah. actually not like most Smiths. You know, there's that really iconic image of, of Morrissey on uh, on top of the pops. Oh, I see. Yeah, he's in his granny garb, doing his weird. I spoke to my father about this, and he was like, oh, "I thought Morrissey was like medically disabled," um, <laughs> which is, and that he, you know, everyone was praising him for having good. good my dad liked him. He's like, "Yeah, you get on." Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I think. But uh... Morrissey, you had this really. That bizarre just... image almost Bowie-esque yeah yeah I mean I I, I heard uh, Noel Gallagher talking about it that he he saw Morrissey on top of the pops and was like wow this is this is life-changing and then when he went to see his friends the next day they're like uh did you see that you know Ponce on top of the pops and he was like oh these guys don't just don't get it so I think a lot of people just found Morrissey is is you know sort of crazy yeah it, it is Bowie-esque it's especially on how soon it's now yeah you're right yeah, so that that line, I'm the son of hair of a shine, the the son and heir of a shine, that is criminally vulgar. As, that's from a that's from a line in the Middle March novel by George Eliot, which is this sort of yeah that it's it's the air. You're not really what you don't really have nothing in particular. You, you're not really sure what you're going to. You're not really inheriting much. You you don't you yeah. don't know where you're going. You don't know what your direction in life is going to be. And I think Morrissey in the in the song, it feels like he's waiting for something, you know, he's waiting for something to happen, and he knows that it it, it is going to happen or something. He's he's sort of you know, you shut your mouth. How can you say I go about things the wrong way? So he's seeing you know arrogant Morrissey in that line for sure. Um, but he knows that something. He's the heir to nothing in particular. But he want, he knows something's going to happen. Um, he wants love to happen, or he wants something to happen. He wants some greater meaning to his life. But he has no clue when it's actually going to happen, and obviously how soon is now. So he, I feel like maybe that he's sort of calling back to you know the musical past. They're constantly waiting for their big break, and you know maybe they're being told by producers or whatever it's going to happen soon. But 
this house in his out, and then Mars, the sort of you know the reverbing style of this. Oh yeah, it's, it's incredible. Old, this anthematic song. I think I think it definitely. I mean, I've said this about a few songs, but this is one of this is the Smiths at their finest. I'd say. Yeah, I I used to, and I I still love the song. But I used to, but I got I got to confess. I think you know it is there. there there's a touch of uh, of Morrissey's sort of incel side peeking through here. <laughs> Um, <laughs> when he talks about you know going to <laughs> talks about going to parties, his failed attempts at going to parties is something. It's almost like, what like Nick Carraway esque. <laughs> Nick Carraway esque, yeah, yeah. He's sort of just like, yeah, a, just an a, a nowhere guy at the parties, yeah. Yeah, he's within and without. Yeah, so your your choice for this round. My next choice is also one of the Smiths' sort of most famous songs, which is "This Charming Man" and. Weirdly, speaking of uh, Nick Carraway, there, the the charming man at the uh, at the center of this song, I've always it, it, it kind of feels like something I don't know, but it, it's it's Gatsby esque. It's also it's also Oscar Wilde esque, and Oscar Wilde was was a big that, hero yeah. of of uh, Morrissey. And there's a lot here, a lot of the lyrics here can sort of relate to Picture of Dorian Gray, uh, and I mean it is a very sexually and am, am, ambiguous song. I mean, all of that sort of went over my head the first time I heard the song. Like, it only took me like, it took me quite a few listens to sort of get what he was singing about here. But I think you know, we we all know. I think every person, casual Smith fan, will know this charming man. I think it's yeah, it's, I, it's got a really summery feel to it as well. Yeah, it, it, it has. It always has this really sort of nostalgia. Where every time I hear the uh, the punctured bicycle on the hillside. Desolate. That that always hits me with the just nostalgia. I don't know what it is about that. This is, I think it's that that image of a punctured bicycle on the hillside is is. I think that's one of. I, I think it's genius. But that that is. I think that is from that is a thing that Morrissey has borrowed from somewhere else. But obviously, in the context of the song, yeah. And and the the yeah. What was I going to say? I mean. I mean, everyone knows this. This is it is pretty much the the unofficial theme song of the Smiths, and yeah, yeah, I, 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 ironically, yeah. it's not a band favorite, and none of them really like it that much. But when David Cameron chose uh, this charming man as one of his Desert Island discs in 2016, <laughs> Mar and Morrissey just hit him with so much backlash <laughs> that Mar tweeted. I forbid you to like it. He literally said, "You're not allowed to like the Smiths, David Cameron. Stop lying to yourself." Wasn't that the what? That was like the first time that Morrissey and Marr like actually spoke and agreed on yeah, something. Yeah, I, I find that hilarious that they just can unite against David Cameron. <laughs> because I mean, I think Marr Ma has disowned Morrissey recently. He has called him like Nigel Farage on guitar. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Marr seems sane. Um... Yeah, yeah, he's made he's made music with Billie Eilish, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's still, I wonder he's if we'll do. I will cover her on the podcast. I, I very much doubt it. At the moment. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So round six, if if we're onto round six, the headmaster for my pick, the headmaster ritual. This is like, this is Pink. You know, this goes so much harder than another brick in the wall. Pink Floyd. Damn right. Honestly, Damn right. that that is. This is like. Pink Floyd is just sort of like, you know, I really like the Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 and that video with the, you know, the, the walking hammer. Um, but the headmaster ritual, this goes really, and I think, you know, it's, it's quite important from the context in which it's, it's written, or at least this is my, my speculation. So 
Mia's murder is 1984, so a few a few years after the Fourth World War, and we really do get this sense of, you know, Sir leaves the fruit, jealous of youth, same old suit since 1962, of the antiquated nature of British schools. And I think at this point, actually, in the 1980s, I can't remember exactly when it happens, but corporal punishment in schools only gets, you know, made illegal in the 1980s. You know, Henry, in private schools, I wasn't allowed till uh, 2003, I believe. Yeah. Um, in private schools, it wasn't banned until 2003 um, in private schools in Northern Ireland. And where, where we went was the last school in the country to get rid of it. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, so, yeah. So We shall not name. <laughs> we shall not name. Um, yeah, so the that was used to the So, yeah, surfs. Quack you on the knees, knees you on the groin, elbow in the face, bruises bigger than dinner plates. Again, so yeah, brutalistic. And I suppose that's, that's what schools in the 1980s were, or at least that's, that's definitely what the cultural depiction was. Uh, you know, speaking to parents, it, it, does, it does seem a bit like that. Um, and then it's just like, you know, he does give up education without respect. You know, school shouldn't be bad, right? That seems like Morrissey's, Morrissey's perspective, it, but... It is awful. And yeah, this image of belligerent ghouls that it's just sort of like so old fashioned, same old joke since 1902. And then we get, yeah, this, this really sort of militaristic um, imagery of, of, you know, military two steps, sir leads the, the troops, jealous of youth. Now, and I'd argue that this is, this is somewhat in reference to the increased militaristic nature of Britain in 1902 after Falklands. And uh, Morrissey was very, very much against the, the Falklands War, and especially the same thing with Belgrano. He has, he has gone on record of that. Literally after Thatcher died, he's like, yeah, she was awful. And that was one of the main reasons why he listed right. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some, there's, again, those who would argue that there's, you know, the LGBT undertones to this with the, the jealous of youth. That's, that's what I read somebody arguing. And, yeah, and I, 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 kind of, I, I kind of read that into it as well. I, I don't see it. I think it's more just, I think, I think it's more about the sort of anger of the teachers and that somehow for some reason, mm. schools and education are meant to be this marvellous thing has just sort of become brutalistic and vile. And Morrissey's school experience was, was awful. But yeah, I think this is just a brilliant song of, of the British, of the form of what the British education system used to be. Yeah, I, I, again, this is, this is probably the best song on Meter's Murder. I'd, sure. I'd agree with that. And uh, my, my choice for my uh, sixth one is, is another one from Meter's Murder, which is Russian Ruffians. And I mean, there's not, there's not a lot I'm going to say about it, but... I just quite like this is another song of dualism where it has the sort of childhood innocence at the fair and all this sort of like the friendship pact and stuff, but it has a real dark core to it and it's sort of the, the horrible things that children witness around them. On to, uh, on to round seven now. Um, I've picked Panic from, uh, from Loud and Bombs and this song, is, this song is, is brilliant as well. I really didn't like it at first. But really? the more you listen to it, yeah. So... Mark, Mark talked about it. it came out about the time of Chernobyl and it uses this imagery of Chernobyl and you know, panic on the streets of London, panic on the streets of Birmingham, this sort of chaos and destruction. But the way I interpret, interpret it, actually, maybe this is just you know, what, what I'm looking into the, the fact chart connotations, is that Morrissey is, is sick of um, you know, what Britain has become and it's causing panic. And you know, this is, this is, you know, seven, you've had seven years of factory at this point, right? And I feel like when it's saying hang the DJ, is saying that we're sick of the music, we're sick of what she's saying, just get rid of her. But then this just repeated hang the DJ, honestly, it goes on about 20 times. I feel like that's, it's, it's this just sort of more burst of anger. Yeah, and I love the, the sound British of like establishment. Kids, kids singing along to that. Yeah, yeah, that we're just sick and we want it out. And it is this nursery sign, but, you know, the hang the DJ is quite a brutal thing, but I think 
he's sick of the song. And that's yeah. that, that's my interpretation. And also, let me just say, could life ever be sane again? That lyric is relevant now. I think because obviously you've got this idea of post-war consensus, and then perhaps just completely obliterated that. That has is Britain the same as, as what it's was? Can we go back to it? And again, I guess I guess for Morrissey, that's this idea of returning from a Brookian English heaven. Mm. Um, and I, it feels like there's been such damage done to to, to Britain that it's not going to happen again. So my my choice is my seventh choice is Cemetery Gates, which I think is probably one of the most underrated Smith songs. One of my favourites on Queen Is Dead. I think one of the sort of the genius little bits of this is that he misspells cemetery in the title. He spells it C E M E T R Y, cemetery gates, and that was completely unintentional. But that fits so well with the song, in which I mean, Mozart mispronounces plagiarize as as plagiarize or something like that. It, it, I can't remember how he says it, but it, it's it is a, it's a it's a it's a funny old song and and. It's definitely him. Uh, it's like a, you know, sort of argument with him and and someone else who, when they're going to the cemetery. It, I think that was that was based on what Morris used to do with a friend. He always used to go to the cemetery and and look at um, look at gravestones and stuff and and talk about you know romantic poetry and stuff. And I think that that shows something that Morris has admitted as his sort of intense obsession with death. And tragic figures like James Dean, and I completely understand Morrissey on that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's a fascinating figure, and I think a lot of that is is reflected in some of Morrissey's lyrics here, which are taken directly from old classic films. I think it's a lot of, yeah. sort of nostalgia for for these sort of you know what young wild figures. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, James Dean didn't they bring him back for like this Vietnam movie? Like he, well, he no, died before being I think they they announced. Oh wait, are you talking about the one that they made that they're making like recently? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. There was this idea that they were gonna. I think this got cancelled, but there was an idea that they were gonna do a project where they had like, because you know movies they're doing like those sort of. You can bring back dead people. Yeah, yeah. He was. He like died on. before. He died before the first boots on the ground of Vietnam. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Which feels a bit weird. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very strange. I mean, Jimmy Dean. I mean, he only did three. Uh, three proper films he only had like three proper parts in three films which was giant uh john steinbeck's east of eden and rebel without cause and i mean you can really see if you watch that film you can really see how morrissey relates to that sort of figure who is a complete loner who just you know it sort of lashes out at society and people but but also is a romantic you know so yeah so for the round round eight um, so penultimate song. Both of my my two last songs on my album are actually two finishers. So the number eight, I have uh, some girls bigger than other. And I suppose the way that one could look at this, what Marx is almost articulating, Morris is almost articulating is, I suppose there's sort of the Marxist view of history, which is you know humans are motivated by class conflict and money and capital, and that's the main driver. And then you have the sort of Thomas Carlyle, more Friedrich Nietzsche approach. Which is you no, know, it's no, it's a great man, and it's the individual and whatever, and it's those who, so you mentioned, they're the ones who shape it. It's their actions that create everything. But Morrissey is agreeing with Oscar Wilde, who famously said, "Everything in life is about sex, apart from sex itself. Sex is about power." In this, uh, in this, no, I love the opening in the song. I love the opening lyric from the Ice Age to the Dole Age, and that this is that description of uh, 
Britain in the 1980s is a dull age because you, you have an unemployment at, you know, around 10%. You do have quite a significant number of people, quote unquote, on the dole. Mm. And then you can sort of have this like really long, um, some girls are bigger than others, repetition. And, you know, that just sort of feels that he's, Morrissey is apparently somewhat attacking the sort of misogynistic way that people are just sort of motivated by sex and, and just pure. And as we're talking about, when Morris is attracted to the mind, he's just sort of, I feel like there's, there's, a, there's a sort of confusion that, he, that he's exhibit, exhibiting in this. And it's an amazing finisher to an amazing album, I'd say, with The Queen is Dead. But, yeah, I think... And then you get this sort of quiet ending of Send Me the Flow, the one that you dream on, and I'll send you mine. And I feel that, you know, part of that, I feel, is Morrissey going, going back to the 1960s, and even in the 1980s, where he's talking about class divides and, and the like, but I think I think he's really he is really he's almost taking like yeah this his own view of history of that and you it's for all of mankind it's sex been the motivator which I think is quite an interesting idea and it's an idea that Morrissey is is, is puzzled by. All right, so my my choice is also from from Queen is Dead, and <clears throat> I think this song Big Mouth Strikes Again is probably the best example of what we're talking about as the, the sort of perfect marriage of Marr and Morrissey in The Smiths. I mean, I mean full respect to, uh, to Andy Rourke, the bassist, and Mike Joyce, the drummer, but I think it's... Whatever you feel about Morrissey now, it's two geniuses in their field, like, brought together in sort of this, this perfect harmony. So it's full... It's, this is proper... Um, this is classic Morrissey right here. Big Mouth Strikes Again. Even the, the title alone is sort of this, this genius depiction of, of um, you know, Morrissey's persona as, well, he, he sort of portrays himself as the Joan of Arc figure who is sort of consumed by the flames that have been brought on by his big mouth and by his mouthing off of, in Morrissey's case, the royal family, Madonna, and like just just like you know a, a lot a lot of people a lot of subjects everything going on in britain at that at that time and in the music industry as well and i mean he has quite a, I, I love the sort of sarcastic opening of the song which is uh you know directed at the at the, the many people that morrissey has has had beef with and you know Sweetness, sweetness. I was only joking when I said by rights you should be bludgeoned in your bed. It's just, it's just terrific because it's, it's sort of, it's very sarcastic in that it's like supposed to be framed as an apology, but it's just, it's just so, it's just so aggressive, and it just shows that this is, this is Morrissey aware of his persona on the song. Uh, although, you know, there is an element of arrogance that he sort of compares himself as one of these iconic martyr figures in history. That is striking again now. So first Joan of Arc, now Mozart. Uh, but I think what works so well about this song is that you know, along with the terrific lyrics, and you know, Morrissey's you know playful sort of self-deprecating tone. I think Mars sort of ferociously, uh, you know, pounding sort of Rolling Stones-esque uh, guitar riffs, guitar riff here. You know, it, he said that he wanted it to be something like Jumping Jack Flash that was just a rush all the way through. And I think that's what Big Mouth Strikes Again really has. And I think that's why you can listen to it over and over again. I think that's why it's one of the biggest Smiths. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I, there's not much more to say on Big Mouth, but yeah. it is one of them. It's the Smiths at their best. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. 
round round nine, final final closing song for me is Suffer Little Children, which I know is one of your yes. favourites. Well, songs. yeah, I didn't I mean, like it. I, 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 yeah, I did tell you that this was my sort of my, you know, all clever choice of my favourite Smith songs. And I, 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 I do believe that it probably is like definitely up there as one of my favourites. I, I absolutely love it. And I think it's, it's when you tell people that, they're like, what, what, what is that? But I just, I find it sort of hypnotic. But then when I told you, I told it to you and you were like, oh, well, this just sounds a bit repetitive, but I'm, I'm sure you must have listened to it. Uh, more time since then <laughs> you've taken it for your album that you know we see in Morrissey's lyrics this really gruesome imagery of, of the kids and this and this yeah the fresh uh less more field moorland fields kind of hide the solid stench of death and that's that's pretty brutal when he's talking about kids who've been murdered um yeah and then he talks about the sort of torment of the of the parents and then this this idea of you might sleep but you'll never dream and that that and we we will haunt you when you're last sort of it's, it's stopping the parents you know the, the children from you know it's consumed not only is it sort of physically killed the children but then it's uh it's, it's killed the parents but then in the yeah. lyric oh manchester there's so much to answer for that to me is it, a manchester and sort of you know obviously we've got the big manchester music scene but it's not you know it was quite a you know industrial industrial city i think that what could that might be talking about more is that yes these kids have died in, in manchester but going with all the stuff that the smiths have said i think it's asking the question are these the only children that england has killed you know not in the physical you know, death sense that, that sadly happened to these poor, poor kids in manchester but in the in the way that it's spirit in the way that you know manchester and, and the glam and the sort of the new england Maybe even since the Industrial Revolution, that Morrissey might be might be criticising. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that he's he's put out this English spirit, and I think that that works as a really nice closer on both the Smith self-titled and my hypothetical Smith's album. That it that it is talking about, you know, oh Manchester, so much to answer for, England, so much to, so much to answer for, and I think I think that's you know, we sort of contrast starting still ill, talking about you know England is mine and owes me a living. And then with this, it's sort of like, well, it's a living it gave me that good. My 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 ending to my dream LP is one of the Smiths' most famous openers, which is "The Queen Is Dead." And I mean, there's a, there's a lot to say about this one. Obviously, I mean, it's I mean, it's a it's a real sort of banging, aggressive uh, instrumental that has influences from the Detroit garage bands. And Ma described it as him trying to do the Stooges, the hip hop band, via Velvet Underground, which I don't, I don't really see the Velvet Underground in this song. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely I, see the Stooges. <laughs> I listen quite a lot of Velvet Underground, and I cannot see that in The Queen Is Dead. Yeah, no, 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 I don't see it either. But that's apparently those were Ma's two inspirations. Uh, and apparently that this the instrumental came out of a, a thirty-minute jamming session, and sort of the era, some of them are the accidental feedback that. That Mark, I think what what's most I mean obviously the the, the instrumental and, and the sort of the the way this track goes on uh, it has the sort of quality of uh, Stone Roses I am the resurrection so that's why I think I quite like it as as a as an ending to an album as I mean it's great as an opener but I think it's good as an ender but in terms of the the lyrical content obviously the, the um, 
I love the bit, Charles, don't you ever crave to appear on the front of the Daily Mail dressed in your mother's bridal veil, which is obviously him commenting back in the 80s about Charles fantasising about taking his mother's place. Um, And And he still is. Yeah, I know. It's hilarious. I think that it's still 2020 and, you know. And the the, the imagery of tied to your mother's apron. And you can also show Charles's, you know, close relationship with the Queen, but it can also, it's Morrissey's sort of just his, his he's so critical and, and I, I agree with him. He, he uh, I don't agree with Morrissey on a lot of things, but I agree with him that this idea that the monarchy is this thing that should have, should have so much influence over the British public and this close tie, tied to your mother's apron, it's, you know, Morrissey describes that as a hideous joke, like the idea of this, the importance of the, the monarchy in today's society. And I mean, to some extent, I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm more conservative in that regard, where I'm, I'm not yeah. profitable, but like, you know, not to get, not to get bogged down in discussion of Morris, uh, the monarchy. I can see where Morrissey's coming from. And again, I think it's this, crit- it's, it's this sort of weird criticism of England that he loves this idea of England, but actually England present or Britain present is something he sort of detests. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot to say here about, I mean, um, there's a bit a bit that always stood out to me, uh, and I didn't understand at first, a bit where he's like, oh, what's the bit? I didn't even, some nine-year-old's Tuffy Pedals drug, I swear to God, I swear to God, they didn't even know what drugs were. I mean, that, that in a sense, is a comment on the rise of, rise of drugs in the Thatcher era. Um, yeah, after the 60s, it yeah. sort of goes wild. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a big problem. And also, like, past the pub, the Rexy, Brexit body in the church, all they want is your money. He's sort of, he's, as well as the monarchy, he's just attacking all these sort of conservative staples of yeah. British Which society. Is, because he's almost, he's almost, he's almost yeah. so conservative that he hates like the new stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the image of England, he's all, he, yeah, he always wants this like Jane Austen. Um, <laughs> this yeah. England. Yeah, so I think, I think that that's a good conclusion. Thank you for listening to it. Thank, thank you. For listening to this first episode of Dream LPs. That was a yeah. good, good ending. Next week, we'll be discussing Brand New and Jesse Lacey, another horrible person who is yeah. in what I think is a pretty good band. Uh, we might have a guest on. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see about that, Henry. But another controversial figure for us to terrible. Another controversial figure. But yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed listening. Please listen next week. Uh, yeah, thanks. It's, Thank it's, you very bye, much. it's bye from me. And it's bye from me.